Hey, if we haven't met, I am Chelsea. I get to be the the wife of Judah. I was going to say the awesome wife, but then I realized that is completely a self-compliment instead of the wife of an awesome man. So anyway, I'm Judah's wife, and um, we get to lead this community together. It is our favorite thing we get to do other than raising our three children. And we just so often talk about how incredible it is that people every week get dressed, get in the car on a Sunday morning. You don't have to be here taking your time to choose to come here to hear about Jesus, to worship, to get in community. It really is an amazing thing that we don't ever want to take for granted. And if you haven't heard enough, so genuinely thank you, especially in December when there's so many things to be doing. Thank you for being here, taking the time to make it through the cold and the gray to come be at church. So I always obviously just want to say thank you, always, always, always. And um, we get to have fun this morning. I am preaching this morning, in case you haven't figured out. I'm not just here to ramble and talk, which I am so excited about. And um, we are going to do that together. Sound good? So let's go to the book of Colossians. I love Colossians. And I have to be honest, as I was... <laughs> As I was prepping for this and really just thinking over these verses of this chapter, it really has gotten into me. And I just have to say, it's, it's helped me on a, on a Tuesday afternoon. You know those mundane afternoons of just real life. And so really, truly, my prayer for you as we get into this is that it'll, it'll help your Tuesday afternoon. It'll help a Thursday afternoon. It'll make a difference in your marriage, in your kids and your life, because really, I love that about our God. He's so big and powerful, but he cares about the details of our lives, and he wants to be with us in the details of our lives. So let's go read together Colossians, and we're going to read a few, skip around a few verses in here. I love this. So this is a letter written by Paul, who, who was an apostle. He was a pastor, a preacher. He loved Jesus, and there's this group of people in Colossae, who he had never met before, but he heard that they loved Jesus. And so he wrote them this letter because they had common friends, as you do back in the ancient days. Spence and Brianna, you guys are trying to sneak in. Hey, by the way, the little duck doesn't help. Just so you know. No, no. I didn't even see that duck. I was talking about like the half duck, even when you're walking across in public space and think if you duck down like six more inches. I, I, I still saw you. And now I still see the Oregon Ducks t-shirt, which is highly offensive. <laughs> and not only that, you have brainwashed my children to be Ducks fans, which is much more offensive. This, by the way, this is Spencer and Brianna. They lead our middle school here at the Kirkland campus, and they just do such an amazing job. Middle school is not the easiest time, necessarily, but you make it awesome for middle school students. So thanks, even though you're a Duck fan and you brainwash children. So anyway... Colossians, huh? <laughs> um, so Paul had never met this group of people before, but he heard they loved Jesus, but they were starting to believe some false teaching and, and adopt some principles in their lives that weren't consistent with the teachings of Jesus. So he writes them this letter, and at the beginning of this letter, he prays this prayer for them that I think is so beautiful and so, it's like, I want this for myself. Please tell me up in heaven, this prayer is still being prayed for Chelsea Smith. And yes, I just referred to myself in the third person. That's awkward. So <clears throat> Paul says, Colossians chapter one, starting in verse nine. So Paul says, and so from the day that we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. And this is what we've been praying. We've been asking that you would be filled with the knowledge of his will 
How many, gosh, do you wanna know that? I wanna know, God, what do you want me to do? God, fill me with the knowledge of your will and that you would be filled with all wisdom and understanding. And he, pray, he says, and I want, I'm praying for you that this knowledge and this understanding wouldn't just be in your head. He's saying, but I'm praying that this knowledge and understanding would enable you to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, that you would be fully pleasing to him. I love that. I don't know about you, but I want what I know about God to affect the way I walk, to affect my everyday life. And Paul goes on to say, and I want you to, I'm praying that you will bear fruit in every good work and that you would increase in the knowledge of God. And then this is my favorite part. I'm like, yes, pray this prayer for me. He prays, and I pray that you would be strengthened with all power according to God's glorious might, not according to your own might, not according to your own power, but I pray that you would be strengthened according to God's glorious power for endurance and patience with joy. Anybody else need some of that holiday season? Give me some, some endurance, some patience, some joy, and some power that is supernatural beyond me. We're gonna read one, one more verse in Colossians. It's at the end of the chapter. That was the beginning. And Paul says this, him, the him here is Jesus, is saying, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And so what we see here at really the beginning of this chapter at the end of the chapter is this theme that gives us a clue to what Paul is gonna talk about in the middle of the chapter, right? It's like, it's like a ham sandwich. You got the bread on two sides and the ham is in the middle. And what, what we're finding is that what's in the middle is going to point us to maturity. It's going to point us to growth. The beginning, Paul prayed a prayer. He said, I pray that you would increase in your understanding and in your knowledge of God. And at the end, he says, and I pray that you would be mature. And I don't know about you, but I have some areas that I wanna grow in. I wanna increase in my spiritual maturity. So we're gonna just spend the next few moments this morning looking at the verses that's in the middle. And I really believe that we're gonna have such an incredible perspective and faith that we can grow and we can mature and we can do it together. Sound good? Okay, I'm going to pray. And um, I, <clears throat> I will also pray for the Seahawks, even though I don't care. And it's probably not gonna be heartfelt. In honor of my husband, I will still pray for the Seahawks. Jesus. <laughs> Uh, Jesus, even beyond the Seahawks, Lord, I thank you that you are here and that you are with us. And Lord, we thank you that you're real. And God, I pray that in these next few moments that you would speak to each one of us, to our hearts personally, what you want us to hear, what you're saying to us. Lord, I know that you care so much about us. And thank you for every individual who took the time to come and meet with you today. And Jesus, we do pray for the Seahawks. Lord, you know that we don't like the Rams, even though we have a church in LA that we like, but the Rams we do not like. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to win and help the Niners to lose. In Jesus' name, amen. Help us win the division and the Super Bowl, amen. Okay, there we have it. Now you can feel like you came to church home because you know it's not a church home service unless there is a prayer for the Seahawks, which is sad. But we also... You also know it's not a church home service unless we talk about Jesus, which is better. So we will do both. Seahawks is done. Let's go to Jesus. Amen. So I was this, this week, uh, I got Judah to do the impossible. Now you've got to understand, this week is I was prepping for a message. I Actually, it took, takes took me like three months, three weeks. So I've been thinking about this for the last three weeks, weeks really studying. I'm like, how does Judah do this every single week? He is... 
he is amazing. And he has something good and funny and content filled to say every day. Even, even though I sleep with him, he still blows my mind. Okay, somebody thought that was funny. <laughs> So I have the utmost respect for my husband, for his gifts, for his character, even if I might just get a little dig in here every once in a while. So this might be a dig, but no, I respect him. This week, I got Judah to do the impossible. Yes, it is a season of miracles in the Smith family. Judah cleaned out his closet, took clothes, ready to give away. Like there's free hang, like it was a point where I was like, I'm not putting your laundry away any longer because there's no room in your drawers and you know, happy wife. <laughs> so, but when he cleaned out his closets, I'm getting ready, you know, getting the bags ready to make, donate, make donations. And all of a sudden my boys who were in my mind's my babies, my little boys, I gave birth to them. They're like my sweet little, ah, uh, my little, my little boys. And, but they're like, well, this is like, hey mom, can I go through dad's clothes and get some clothes out of his closet. And I'm like, you fit into your dad's clothes? And they look at me like I just insulted them. And I realized, but my, so our boys, we have three kids. Zion is 15, Elliot is 13, and Grace, our baby girl, is 10. And both of the boys are now taller than me. Zion's six foot, Elliot's coming in at like five, 10 or something. And I just don't know what to do with these little men child who still act like children, but look like adults and pray for me. So as, I, as, as they're going through their dad's, their dad's clothes and picking out like sweats and whatever they want, I, and I realized I, I still think of these boys as my baby boys, but they are grown men, right? Because growth is one of those crazy things that happens in life that because we, we grow a little bit every day, a little bit every day, a little bit every day, sometimes we don't realize that we have grown or that we have matured. And then all of a sudden something happens like your boys wanting to fit into their dad's clothes and you're like, oh my gosh, you've grown up. Con congratulations. How, how did that happen? Because the truth is growing and maturing is a natural part of life. And how much more so is our spiritual growth and our spiritual maturity something that we all want? I don't know about you, but I want to grow. My prayer for my life, I don't want to be here five years from now still in the same place. I want to be closer to Jesus, know him more, be a kinder, more loving person. I wanna look more like Jesus. I, I, wanna, I wanna grow spiritually. And maybe you've been here for three months and you're realizing, oh, there's so much I need to know. I still don't even like know where to find things in the Bible. Congratulations, not many of us do. You're right on track, but you're realizing, I have areas to grow in. Or maybe you've been saved for 30, 40, 60 years, and maybe you're like me. I realize I've been, I got saved when I was five, so I've been saved for 35, 36, I've been saved for 36 years. And the longer I know Jesus, the more I realize there's more to know. And the more I realize I don't know. So whatever you are, wherever you're at in your spiritual journey, it's like, yes, I want to grow. And maybe you walked in here this morning and you aren't even thinking about your spiritual journey. You're thinking about your Christmas shopping, but somebody, somebody drug you here. And you're realizing, I think I've just kind of gotten content with being stagnant. That maybe something in my mind has kicked in and I'm like, eh, I, think, I think I'm okay with where I'm at. Or maybe you just, you're not even okay with it. You haven't even realized that you've been okay to not grow for a while. You know that God wants you to grow. We want to grow spiritually. We want to get better. And as a community, our goal is that together we would all get more, more mature together as a community. And so I love it that Paul, in this letter to this church community similar to ours, tells them, I want you to grow. And I'm praying for you to grow. 
But maybe you're like me, and you've, you've sat around the last, uh, even just, let's, let's go a few weeks, and Judah's been preaching such awesome messages. They change my life every week. But maybe, as you know, Judah's been talking about, you know, in the old covenant, we used to relate to God based on performance, and now in the new covenant, we, we release we relate to God based on the performance of Jesus. Um, so maybe you're sitting like me and you're thinking, okay, yeah, that's really, really great. And yes, I know that's what Jesus does. But what about growing? And what about the principles? Where do those principles come in? Like, don't we need to learn to grow and to mature? Don't we need to learn the, about the things of life, like what to do with our finances and how to be a husband and a wife? And don't we need to learn all those principles? Thank you for asking that question. I asked that question. And I am surprised at what Paul says here about maturing. We, we read it, the verse, verse 28, we read it together in the English Standard Version, but I wanna read it for you in the message because I, I know you are going to be surprised at Paul's emphasize for how do we grow and how do we mature. This is what Paul says. In the message translation, it says, it says this. This is the substance of our message. We preach Christ warning people not to add to the message. We, I love this, this is Paul giving himself such a self compliment, it's great. He says, we teach in a spirit of profound common sense. It's like, do you Paul? Congrats on your common sense there. So he goes on, nobody laughed at that, okay. Thanks for the courtesy laugh. He says, we preach, we teach in a spirit of profound common sense so that we can bring each person to maturity. How do we do that? He says, to be mature, is to be basic. Christ, no more, no less. To be mature, Paul says, is to be basic. And so in this whole sandwich we're gonna look at here on how to grow and how to mature, Paul's the meat of his sandwich, the meat of what he talks about for how we grow and mature is Christ. It is that if you wanna grow, if you wanna mature in your spirituality, if you don't wanna be the same place you are now five years from now, it's not that you need principles, you don't just need to know what to do in every situation and circumstance. What you need is Jesus. You need to hear about Jesus. So then my, my thought goes to, okay, Paul, if you're preaching Christ, what do you preach about him and what do I need to know about Jesus so that I can mature, so that I can grow? Thank you for asking. We're gonna spend the next few moments looking at that. So we're gonna look in the, just a few of the verses here in the middle of this maturity sandwich that Paul is creating for his audience. And we're gonna look at a few of the verses and ask, ask that question. What do we need to know about Jesus so that we can mature? Starting in verse 15 is where Paul goes into this, into this dissertation. The first thing he says about Jesus is that he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. In other words, he's saying this, Jesus is the perfect picture of what God looks like. If you wanna know what God looks like, all you have to do is look at Jesus. In fact, remember the words of Jesus? He said, by the way, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And as I'm, as I'm reading that, I realize I grew up in church, you know, it was a Sunday school every day, every Sunday, you know, Wednesdays we had Bible study, and I grew up in hearing about this thing called the Trinity. And I realized as I was reading this that I have had a wrong perception 
of the Trinity. Now, here's what the Trinity is. If you've been around church, you, you know, you've, you've heard this word and this concept, and it's one of those things that's really hard for us to wrap our human minds around. I was looking at, looking at John. We teach it to our, to our church home college students at Doctrine, and we teach this concept of the Trinity, that God is three, peop- he is three people but one God. You can't divide him, but you can distinguish between the parts. And we've tried to use all the analogies. I remember teaching this to high school students, like, you know, the egg has the shell and the white and the yolk, but they're all the egg, but they're not the egg. And that's not really true, but we're kind of, and we just like, we just do our best to try to explain these really complicated theological truths. But what it really comes down to is this, that God, because he is so holy, holy means that he is consistent. He never deviates from his character. He never has a bad mood. He doesn't change his mind. He doesn't act on a whim. Because he is so holy and he's always consistent, because he is perfect in his holiness, he can be perfect in his unity with himself. Because God the Father is always perfectly God. And God the Son, Jesus, is always fully, perfectly God. And God the Holy Spirit is always perfectly God. And so that gives us this incredible mystery of, you know, the great three-in-one, the Trinity. And they're all fully God, yet fully distinguishable. But I, when I was thinking about this, I realized growing up, I made a view of the Trinity that kind of fit my human mindset. And that is this, God the Father, oh, he's the powerful one, but sometimes he's kind of mean. Anybody ever thought this? Jesus, God, Jesus, the son, he's the nice one, but he doesn't have all the power so much. And God, the Holy Spirit, who when I was a kid, we called the Holy Ghost. It was like, he's the kind of spooky one who we don't understand, right? Like, so my view of the Trinity was that, yeah, like neither one of the persons of the Trinity are completely God, but together their strengths and weaknesses kind of work out to make what we know is God. But that isn't true. The scripture tells us what we need to know about Jesus to grow in our maturity is that Jesus is the express image of God. When you see Jesus, you see the fullness of who God is. The verse goes on. We'll come back to more to that in a second. But verse goes on in verse 16, still talking about Jesus. For by him, all things were created. And I've got to be honest, again, going back to that Trinity analogy, I remember being in Sunday school, hearing, you know, the story of creation. And in my mind, Jesus was not a part of the story of creation. It was the powerful, sometimes mean, God the Father who was creation. But throughout the scripture in Proverbs and John and also here in Colossians, we are taught that it was actually Jesus who initiated creation. He imagined it. He initiated it. He was the one who brought creation about. It says this, for all the things that are visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all of, all of the things that are happening in the spiritual world and in the natural world, all of these things were created through Jesus and for Jesus. And he is still Jesus. He is before all things. And in him, all things are held together. And so we know about Jesus. We learn here in Colossians that Jesus not only created everything, but he sustains everything. He is the ultimate source of life on planet Earth. And I read that, and it's like, oh, that's kind of hard for me to imagine. It's kind of hard for me to comprehend. It's one of those things that just kind of blows my mind. And so thinking about planet Earth, we know this, right? On our planet here, the Bible says that all of the things that we have, even in Colossians, it says are just are a shadow, but the substance of Christ. And so the shadow, so that we can know Jesus better, we know here that on, on the planet, sorry not to give you a boring science lesson, but 
just for a second because it's so much fun, right? The source of life on our planet is what? Air, water, and air, water, and light. I just did it with grace in fifth grade science. Congrats. So, you know, for anything to have, to have life, it needs air, it needs water, and it needs light. Well, Jesus said, I am the breath of life. He said, I am, I am the living water. And I love it in Revelations 22, 16, Jesus says, I am the bright and the morning star. Well, the sun is the star that our planet, that our solar system revolves around. The sun is our source of light. And when you look at that and you think of that, that gives us such a picture of what Colossians is trying to illustrate about Jesus, that Jesus is our source of life. And think about the sun. The sun is really far away from planet Earth. You tracking with me? So let's say it's from here to the exit sign over there, right? If that's the distance from the sun to planet Earth, think about the difference in our globe between the North Pole and the equator. It is just tiny little minuscule distance in comparison to the distance from the sun. But yet, think about the incredible difference, difference of life on the North Pole and life in the equator. Right? We all know from all of the Christmas movies we've been watching lately, right, that the North Pole is desolate, except for Santa and his village. Yes, children, it is there. Uh, Grace, oh man, Grace and I watched Elf this week. It is my all-time favorite. I love it so much. In fact, I saw Sean and Casey Spurdy here. We went and saw Elf together when it first came out 16 years ago. <laughs> that was fun. Um, and so Grace and I are watching it. My favorite part is when he's, when he's about to go in Norwal, you know, with the, the thing. He's like, bye, buddy. Hope you find your dad. And I don't know why that has become a line of the Smith family. Like, whenever we're leaving, you're like, bye, buddy. Hope you find your dad. So other than in Santa's village, the North Pole is desolate, right? There's, there, there's water there. There is... There is air there, but there is no, not as much light. It's further away from the sun, and so there's not life. But think about the equator, like in the rainforest, they are just teeming with life, right? There's snakes and birds and bugs and spiders and so many animals and so much life that I actually have no desire to ever go and visit the rainforest because that's a little bit too much life for me. But yet we see this example on our planet that the closer you get to the sun, to the source of life, there is so much more life to be had. But we also know the other thing, that uh, <clears throat> the closer you get to the sun, you, you can get burned a little more easily. Anybody ever experienced this? Have you ever gone on a vacation south somewhere and what worked for you, like in, in Seattle, you're like SPF 4 sunscreen, all of a sudden you're in Mexico and it doesn't work for you anymore. I'll never forget the first time I was 10 years old, my parents took us to Hawaii for spring break. And my mom, I blame my mom, I probably should have done it myself, but my mom didn't put sunscreen on the top of my feet. Has this happened to anybody else? And I was wearing flip-flops and my, the tops of my feet got so burnt. They were blistering. I did not enjoy Hawaii because we were too close to the sun and my mom didn't put sunscreen on the tops of my feet. So I was burnt. The sun, right? It's so powerful. It just takes getting a little bit closer to it. And all of a sudden, what didn't burn you now burns you. God gave us that as a picture so that we could see Jesus. Who is Jesus? He is the creator and the sustainer of life on our planet. So what do we need to know about Jesus? We need to know that he is the picture of God. If we wanna grow in our maturity, we need to know that Jesus is the creator and the sustainer of life on planet Earth. It goes on to say in verse 18, 
talking about Jesus here, that Jesus is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. This verse is telling us that not only did Jesus began the beginning, which was creation, Jesus also began the second beginning, which was him raising from the dead, the resurrection, that he could be the firstborn. And what Jesus did with the second beginning was he created the church, what we're a part of, and he is the head of the church. I love this so much because this tells me Judah's not the head of the church, I'm not the head of the church, even the board of elders who Judah and I meet with consistently, we just had a meeting this last week and who are ahead of us, they're not the head of the church. Jesus is the head of the church. And I'm just telling you this, at church home, we are committed. We are going to stay close to the head. He, he is our source. He is our sustenance. He is our strength. He is the one who is going to keep us and, and cause us to grow and mature. That is Jesus, who he is. If we wanna grow, we wanna mature. We don't need to know principles. We need to know about who our Jesus is. The last verse we're gonna read together in this portion says this, for in him, in Jesus, God, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. In other words, in Jesus, every, if you could make God's power down to a, down to a source, down to a substance, this all of the source, all of the substance of the power of God dwells inside of Jesus. And as I read this, I realized, oh, I have misrepresented Jesus in my own mind. In my own mind, God was the powerful one. Jesus, yeah, maybe quite the not so powerful one. And I realized part of the reason I thought, I thought this is, you know, a kid growing up in church, going to Sunday school, we would hear these stories, you know, about the holy of holies. And it normally came with a like, dun, 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 there he was in the holy of holies where the presence of God was. And it was like this sacred place where it was the temple that Moses built and then later Solomon built a tabernacle and there was certain rooms within this temple and in, in the interior, the very inside, was the place where God dwelled. And where God dwelled was called the holy of holies. In fact, it was so holy, God's presence was there so strong that only one person, one time a year, could enter into the Holy of Holies. And this place, it was such a sacred place that before the high priest was gonna enter in, it, there'd be like so many people helping him, making sure he did all of the washings and he had all the clothes right down to his underwear, which I think is so unique that God cared about the underwear that the high priest was wearing, but he did. And so they, they would, there'd be this group of people who would get this high priest ready that he could enter into the Holy of Holies, the place where God dwelled. And the last thing they did on him, which is so fascinating, was they put, there was bells on his robe so they can hear when he walked, and then they would tie a rope around his ankle. And the rope around his ankle was for a very specific purpose. That is, just in case he didn't get all the preparations right, just in case the bull wasn't slaughtered right or his hands weren't washed properly, and God struck him dead. The rope on his ankle was so that the people could pull him out without them having to die themselves. And they would know he died because the bell would stop ringing. Merry Christmas, jingle bells. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's what we got for you today. And I know that's a crazy story and a crazy picture of God. It's like, why would God kill somebody? Well, 
it's because that person was a representation of Jesus, and that's actually why Jesus had to die, and Jesus died the only perfect death anybody died, so God wasn't trying to be cruel. He's just being holy. So, but for me, growing up in church and knowing this about God and hearing God portrayed in such a holy, powerful, like, ooh, kind of spooky manner, I didn't ever see that that was the power that dwelled in God, in Jesus. But it says here in our verse that in God, that God was pleased, he was satisfied, he was content that all of his fullness would reside in Jesus. Jesus is not lacking a teeny bit of the power of God. Can I say it this way? The power of God did not diminish in the person of Jesus Christ. In fact, Jesus is still alive, so let's say it this way. The power of God is not in any way, shape, or form, not even by a teeny tiny minuscule. It is not at all diminished in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus, we wanna grow, we wanna mature. We need to see Jesus for who he is, which is powerful, the creator, the initiator, and the sustainer of creation as he is still holding this planet together. That is who Jesus is, and knowing that is what is going to lead us to maturity. But Paul said all of this so he could get to one point. He said all of this in describing Jesus so he could tell this group of people who he is praying are going to mature. He wants to tell them this one thing. And it's a few verses later in Colossians 1, 27. We're just gonna read the last phrase of it. He says this, there is a mystery and that is Christ in you, the hope of glory. In other words, all the fullness of God, all the power of God, everything that he is that dwells in Jesus, Jesus now dwells in you, and he dwells in me. And remember in Sunday school, if you were there, if you weren't, that's okay too, but they, people would say in Sunday school, if you want to know Jesus, just ask him into your heart. And I'd be like, okay, but I didn't realize that for, our, for my brain to make sense of things, God wired our brains in such beautiful, unique ways. If something doesn't make sense, if something doesn't add up, we kind of have to make things up to make them add up in our brain so we can have peace and go to sleep at night. And so I realized that in my brain, I made up, well, if Jesus is living in my heart, he must not be powerful. He must not be as holy and as awesome and as amazing as that God who lived in the holy of holies but that's not true. So Paul wants us to know that the fullness of God is in Jesus, and Jesus is in you. In fact, Jesus himself said, just, just in case you're thinking Paul is going a little rogue and he is a little crazy, which I kind of think he is because it's hard to comprehend and understand. That's why Paul called it a mystery. But listen to what Jesus said about himself in John chapter 14. This is his final prayer with his disciples. He says, in that day, after I resurrect, He's saying, in that day, you will know that I am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. Jesus himself said, hey, once I die and I resurrect, I'm gonna be in heaven, but I am going to be in you. And just in case we didn't that get it that time, Jesus said later in John chapter 17, he says this, that he's talking to his disciples, he's saying that I am in them. I am in the disciples. I am in you. Jesus wanted us to know that when he resurrected, he's not in heaven, he is in us. 
And I know as I'm saying that, it's like, oh, okay, how, how do I really know that? How do I really believe that? Maybe you've had Jesus living in you for a while and you, you haven't felt his power and his presence living and residing inside of you. I love it in Colossians 1.27 that Paul calls it a mystery. It is one of those things in our Christian faith and our Christian life and walk that we just have to let be a mystery. That's why Paul says in Colossians 1.9, I pray that you would be filled with understanding. You can't figure this out yourself. You have to let God flood your mind with understanding and give your, give your heart peace around this mystery of Christ in you. But I do think this, God gave us a beautiful and unique picture of this mystery in the Christmas story. And as we conclude, I'm just going to tell you a little bit about this story and hopefully give you a picture that you can wrap your mind around, around this mystery, that the fullness of God dwells in Jesus, and Jesus dwells in you. How can we really comprehend this? I love this about the Christmas story. We have this young teenage girl named Mary. Here she is, 14, 15, 16 years old. We'll go with 15 scholars around that time. That was the age that girls got married. So we know she's this 15-year-old girl. She thinks she has her whole life ahead of her. She's got her, her fiance, her life planned out. And then in one moment, her life comes crashing down around her. An angel comes and he says, hey, you don't have to be afraid. I give you good tidings, uh, good news. Um, you're gonna bear the son of God. You, you are going to physically carry within you. Jesus is going to be conceived in you and you are going to be pregnant. And Mary asked, you know, the all important question, right? That we hear at the Christmas story, but God, how can that be? Because I'm, I, I, I'm a virgin. And God says, well, the spirit will come inside of you and that which you will be conceived in you will be of the Holy Spirit. And she says the most incredible thing, just one of the amazing faith statements. She says, let it be unto me according to your word. And then the angel says, you're gonna know this is true because your cousin Elizabeth, who is beyond childbearing age, is pregnant. And even though she lives in another village, go visit her and you'll know that this is true. So Mary sets out, 15-year-old girl, goes a few villages over to go see her cousin Elizabeth. And this is the one glimpse we have, the only words we hear Mary speaking when she is pregnant with Jesus. So we say Christ in you, you know, as a metaphor, but she literally had Christ in her. And Mary comes to Elizabeth's house, and as soon as, you know, she knocked on the door, Elizabeth shouts out, Mary, you're pregnant, and your baby is blessed, and you're blessed because of the baby you're pregnant with. Mary, Elizabeth had no idea. She just begins prophesying. And Mary's response back, the words she, that are recorded of her when she was pregnant with Jesus is what we, what we call the magnificent. It's the song that Mary sings about God and about Jesus. And it starts off, she goes, oh, my soul is magnifying God. How is he so good to me? He is amazing. And she goes on in this song that is faith-filled and worshipful, and she is, has the ability to see that even though my current circumstances are really hard, they're gonna make a difference in eternity. What teenage girl does that? right? I'm like, I have one word for that, Mary. That is mature. For you to respond like that, how did you have that maturity? How were you able to do that? She had Christ in her. She had Christ in her. And even though she had the physical Christ and you and I have the spirit of Christ, there is no difference. Do you know the, the, the 
early church fathers, I love this, they called Mary, let me say it right, uh, Theotokos, which meant God dweller. I love it. We call her the Virgin Mary, right? And it's so funny. It's like, she's not a virgin anymore, guys. She did have other kids, you know? But, but the name she had amongst the early church was God dweller, that God dwelled inside of her. And I believe they told each other that as a picture that, that was like, yeah, the way God dwelled in Mary, Christ, he dwells in me. He dwells in us. He dwells in you. And as we conclude this talk about how do we grow and how do we mature and it's about knowing Christ, can I just leave you with this one simple takeaway? When you find yourself this week or this month or next year with growth opportunities, it's what they call them at my kid's school. They're like, oh, so Grace has a growth opportunity. <laughs> it's like, you mean a challenge? Something she needs to work on? But now they're growth opportunities. Okay. So when you find yourself with a growth opportunity, when you realize, ah, I, this I need to grow in, I'm not doing this quite right, or you feel that tugging of the Holy Spirit that you, you could take a risk and do something new when you're a little bit scared, here is my simple takeaway. When you find yourself in that place, rely on Jesus in you more than you in you. When you get to this place, I'm not always patient with my children. But you know what I really plan on doing and I've been doing it for the last couple of weeks and I'm telling, it just, it brings about such a confidence and a maturity with instead of focusing, okay, Chels, get it together, come on, be kind, be patient, go get some sleep, take three deep breaths, whatever. I don't even have to think about myself. Instead, I think, Jesus, you are inside of me. You are the initiator and the sustainer of life on this planet. You are more powerful than the sun, the moon, and the stars, and the air, and the breath, and you are on the inside of me, and so you are going to cause the growth and the maturity in me so that I can, I can be all of those things that you want me to be, and I can grow and mature my whole life. Not by focusing on me and me, not by relying on Chelsea and Chelsea, but by relying on Jesus in Chelsea. Can we do that as a community? Ah, uh, I just, I can't wait to see what's gonna happen. The incredible stories of growth and fulfillment and maturity and we'll realize it was so easy. It wasn't even me at all. It was Jesus in me, the fullness of God who dwells inside of me. Can I pray for you this morning? If you wouldn't mind just bowing your heads and closing your eyes, we just really wanna give every person in here a moment of privacy, either to respond to this next call or just to take a few moments to really think about Jesus and say, just maybe you just need to pray a little prayer yourself and just say, Jesus, show me this mystery. Show me that you are in me. Just give you a moment with God. But I wanna ask specifically, and you're in here and you're saying, Chelsea, you talked about inviting Jesus to come and live inside of, inside of me. And you don't, and you say, I may not even totally know what that means, but you'd say there's something in me that wants to know Jesus more. In fact, I want him on the inside of me. I want to know him. It's so amazing to get, for that to happen, you don't have to take a class. You don't have to take a seminar. You don't have to go through a routine. All it takes is one moment of faith for you to say, Jesus, I believe in you. And in a moment here, I'm gonna pray for you. And I'm just gonna count to three and just ask that you raise your hand, not because I need it, not because God needs it, but I just think something happens when you raise your hand. You know to yourself, I raised my hand. That moment of faith was real and I asked Jesus to come live on the inside of me. So if that's you and you wanna know Jesus, and I'm gonna count to three and you can raise your hand. One, two, three. 
all over. Lift your hand up. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you so much. Beautiful. Awesome. Thank you. You can put your hands down. Jesus, I know that you see every hand. And Lord, you know every person. You know their story from conception to the moment they arrived here. You have been with them every detail of their lives. And Jesus, I pray in this moment that you would flood them with your presence. You would, you would flood every person with your peace. You would flood every person with your forgiveness and the confidence of you living and dwelling inside of us. And Jesus, we love you so much. Jesus, thank you that you dwell in us. You live in us. And Jesus, I pray as we go throughout our day, our week, our month, that we would live and walk in that reality that you are with us. And through you, we can grow and we can mature. We love you so much, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hey, if you wouldn't mind and you'd want to stand with us, and we're going to sing some songs of worship to our God, really just in response to thank him for who he is. <laughs>